Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Expert Minutes. I'm John McGuire. Our next guest is Showbiz Royalty. I'm delighted to be joined today by four-time News Emmy and multi-award winning Ross King, MBE, who is one of Britain's most vibrant and versatile performers, having worked stage, screen, TV, and radio. In 2018, Ross received an MBE from Her Majesty the Queen for services to broadcasting, the arts, and charity. In 2020, Ross received the prestigious President's Award from the Los Angeles British American Business Council in recognition of his efforts and achievements on both sides of the Atlantic. Ross can be seen daily in the UK and Europe on ITV's top-rating morning shows, Good Morning Britain and Lorraine, as their U.S. correspondent. He has covered the Oscars, Tonys, Emmys, Golden Globes, and the Grammys. And without further ado... Ross King. Ross, how are you doing today? <laughs> I'm, I'm good. I don't know how I can follow that introduction, John, but, I, <laughs> but I'll, I'll do my best. Yes, I'm doing well. And I'm thinking, who the heck is that guy you've just mentioned? <laughs> yeah, I usually make everyone sit through the introductions. Not awkward at all. <laughs> just jump right in. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's wonderful. So, Ross, you are a four-time News Emmy and multi-award winning Los Angeles base. Yeah one of Britain's most vibrant and versatile performers, yet you find yourself in Los Angeles. What brought you here to the States? Yeah, well, first thing is my love of the U.S. I've always loved the U.S. I think it goes back to being a kid in Glasgow where, you know, the weather is not the best. You know, you get all four seasons and not even in one day. You can sometimes get all four seasons in an hour. And uh, there was always that dream of America and New York, of Los Angeles, and yeah, it was always there. It was the Hollywood dream. And I grew up in a little place in Glasgow called Knightswood. And I think there was always that little bit of, you know, I could see the Knightswood to Hollywood at some point in my future. And yeah, initially it was a love. And then I came out here, I was working for the BBC at the time. And we came out to cover the Oscars uh, back in about 1990 something. And I had a couple of opportunities to work here. And I didn't take them because I was having such a great time in Britain. And I thought, you know what, I'm maybe a little young still. <laughs> you know, I'd rather come out uh, having, you know, got a, a lot more work under my belt. And so it was great. I had a wonderful time in Britain. And then I started doing some musicals, which was a little bit different for me. And then I remember vividly, I was doing a, a musical in the West End in London at Sadler's Wells. And I was behind the, the set. And I remember looking up, it was a very weird moment, John, where I looked up and I thought, there's nothing, you know, like you press the gas pedal, the build accelerator, there wasn't much there. And I thought, why is this? Because I love what I do. I was so thrilled to be in a show at Sadler's Wells, which is such an incredibly famous theatre. And I thought, what is this about? And then I realised what it was. I just needed a new challenge. And I thought, what would be the biggest challenge for me? Immediately it came into my head, you know, America. So that was it. So I basically up sticks right after doing Sadler's Wells. And uh, got in a plane and came out here for 
pilot season and I thought I'll go back to doing a bit more acting again, which is what I did. I went, and I also went back to acting class here for three years. So yeah, it was all part of the dream. So that was it, John, really, that was it. Just, I think, a love of America. And your dream started early. Now, oh, yeah. you made your stage debut <laughs> at age five. Yeah, it's so ridiculous, isn't it? I was very lucky that my mum and dad weren't in show business, but they were very musical and quite kind of theatrical in some respects. Mum played the piano. Uh, my dad played the euphonium in the Salvation Army Band. He conducted the choir. He would do lots of talks. He, he was a very, very funny and erudite man. And um, we were all performers, you know, we were sort of as a kid pushed out there to perform. And again, I was very lucky to do little stage performances when I was five. And even my, I think my first TV, which was alongside my mum for something in Scotland, um, just again, a kid. And I remember going along with my mom and pushing my little sister in the pram and having to say a few lines and thinking, I really like this. It's funny how, you know, sometimes you go to something and you go, yeah, this is for me. You know, you get that sort of bug. And I was so lucky when I was at school because I was going to be a soccer player, not a very good one, but I was going to be a soccer <laughs> player, <laughs> even slower than I looked and deceptive speed wise. And, um, it was my math teacher, a gentleman called Roddy Hood, who had said to me, look, you know, why don't you come in? Why don't you do the school discos, DJ them? And then he said, hospital radio is a great way to get into the business. And in Glasgow, they've got this wonderful uh, little hospital radio station, which broadcasts to all the hospitals in Glasgow and the west of Scotland. And it was amazing. I got in there and again, it was one of those things, John, where I, I got in and I thought, I really love this. And I really want to make this work. And my dear old dad, because when I'd said, I'm not going to be a footballer, I'm going to be a, in show business. He said, we don't know Coco the Clown. We don't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like, okay, right. Okay. What do I do? <laughs> and there's something to be said about that, to have people at such a young age, get your back and support you on these endeavors. You know, many have that artistic bug and sometimes they get it early. Sometimes they don't get it until later in life. That being said, it's often hard to find people who are willing to get behind you and say, yeah, you can do it. Or you know yeah. what? Try it out. See if you like it. Yeah. A lot of people would often try to hold you back from following your dream, but it sounds like you've had people who've had your back, who kind of hipped you to good directions to go in to get mm -hmm. you to where you needed to go. So what do you think your first real break was? I mean, we can go through the laundry list of achievements <laughs> that you've had, but like starting mm -hmm. from stage five yeah. and then, you know, breaking into radio, breaking into TV. Yeah. What was the moment for you when you were like, you know what? I could really actually do this for a living. Uh, I think when I was doing local radio, I got a job as the Saturday boy at Radio Clyde, which is a huge radio station in Scotland. And I was the Saturday boy, I was 15, 16, and I did everything. And I ran in with the teas, the coffees, you know, did the photocopying, had the scripts, did some editing, some recording. And I think for me, that was the moment because there I was just a kid, but working in possibly, arguably the most successful uh, local radio station in Britain. And 
being surrounded by a lot of really good people and people who were really helpful to me. There was a, a gentleman there called Paul Cooney who gave me the job as the Saturday boy. And I think that, you know, seeing good people, listening to good people, watching what they did, also sometimes watching people, what they should have done, what they didn't do, you know, which is always a great part of learning. So I think that was the moment when I thought, yep, this could be a career for me rather than just a fad or something like that. That was definitely it. And then again, you know, I've been so lucky and I'm sure in the, the course of this chat, John, I'll say the word lucky so many times, but I genuinely feel that way that so often something's happened. I've gone, oh my goodness me. But I think it was Gary Player, the golfer, who was the first person to ever say, it's funny that the harder I practice, the luckier I get. And I think that is such a truism. And I certainly find that, you know, that, yes, I've been incredibly lucky. But if you work, you know, hard, 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 and you are just going at it full speed. And I always use the word tenacity because I think that is such a big word that you should abide by, especially in the different businesses that I'm in. If you are tenacious, then that helps so much because you've got to chase absolutely everything and that's what i did as a kid but definitely john i would say that you know getting into the local radio station so young so you're in the door you know that feeling is, and it's weird i even still get it now you know that even if it's a, a station that i worked at ktla here for about six years in los angeles and it's really funny as i drive past ktla i look at it and i think you know what wonderful time i had there and obviously they're very nice i could go in and see them but it's a really funny thing when you're outside and it's so hard to get in and you're so desperate to get in even just in the door i mean physically in the door to the reception area and uh, i remember that as a kid going up to scottish television and and just thinking can i just walk in and just can i speak to someone and it was really funny with radio clyde when i was this kid just finishing off at school my dad drove me to the radio station and i actually went into the reception and handed over this letter to paul cooney saying dear mr cooney you know this is my experience so far I would love to apply for the job of the Saturday boy, who really was the studio factotum. It was an incredible break, but it was that thing getting inside the door. I know that feeling so well. And that's the thing that a lot of people don't realize because they think in many ways following their dreams. And I know it seems like a broad generalization, but yeah. the idea of following your dreams and actually following through on those dreams, it seems like no one is ever going to make it but there's various different degrees of making it. And the first step is being brave enough to actually walk through those doors and just ask for a job or say, hi, I'm here to do this. And a lot of people don't do that. That takes a lot of guts. Yeah, yeah. You've got to have a little bit of bravado. You've got to have a little bit of front. And it's a thing that, especially in Scotland, we're really not good at. We're not good at promoting ourselves. <laughs> you know, we are very much the underdog and we like being the underdog. When I came to America first, you know, if someone said, hey, how are you? I'd be like, yeah, great, thanks. How are you? And of course, when you say, how are you? And especially in this time, you know, if you say to someone, how are you? They're like, yeah, great. Let me just tell you exactly, you know, go through the resume and tell you what they're working on and what they've got coming up, and what they've just done. And it's a funny thing that we're not good at that. You know, I think Brits as a whole are not because we have a very strange thing in Britain, which also applies to Australia, funnily enough, it's called the tall poppy syndrome, which is we love building people up and then we chop them down. So it's like the tall poppies, we grow them and then chop them down. We love just taking them right back down again. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's interesting that you say that because having been 
on both coasts when you get to those big cities and get to those big places. Mm. People, as much as they love a success story, they also love a redemption story even more. <laughs> and you're right. I mean, the, hey, how are you doing today? It's not a question you'd expect them to come at you with an elevator pitch every time, but it, <laughs> it's come to that. It's like, well, I've got your ear for 30 seconds. I'm not going to tell you about the macchiato I just have, but let me tell you about the pilot I just filmed. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, it's a perfect description. Yeah, it's the elevator pitch that uh, you get when you go, how are you? And you just want to go, fine would have sufficed. <laughs> Now, you've had a career that's gone in a lot of different directions. You know, I want to take it back to your first experience in radio where you were doing a lot of different jobs and you wore a lot of different hats when you got your foot in the mm. business. Do you think having that diversity prepared you for taking on different roles throughout your career? Oh, 100%. Absolutely 100%. And I had a great mentor in local radio, a gentleman called Jack McLaughlin. You know, you go into to the radio station. And of course you want to be the top 40 DJ. You want to be the hip guy. You want a guy that's doing the lunchtime show or the breakfast show. You want to be that guy, the guy that's out front in the road shows. And Jack was very good because one time I was offered the art show and I said to Jack, I've been offered the art show. And he said, that's brilliant. I went, no, I don't want to do show about plays and dramas and opera. And he said, you've got to learn to be a broadcaster in the true sense of the word, broadcaster. So he was one of the ones who said, okay, at some point, yeah, you'll be the cool DJ. But for now, learn your craft and do all these different things. And to this day, you know, things that I learned from those early radio days still stick with me, you know, so much. They still resonate with me so much because there was so much that I learned in such a short space of time. So without a shadow of a doubt, all those things that I did then. And then even when you were then moving on to producing shows, again, you could see how you would do things differently if you were hosting shows. And again, I always think, you know, the great and the late Johnny Carson always said that thing where, you know, every joke that you ever hear and you've retained, you will use at some point. Every skill that you learn at some point, you will use. When I speak to college kids, I always say things like, you know, at some point, if you get a chance to ride a unicycle or someone says, I'll teach you to ride a unicycle, do it. Because guaranteed at some point in some movie or some TV show, someone will say, oh, we're going to do a bit from the circus. Can anyone ride a unicycle? Yes. <laughs> you know, so that's the thing. So I think there is absolutely everything to be gained by learning as much as you can about absolutely everything. Even when I worked for the BBC for many years, I did the director's course, not because I wanted to be a director, but because I wanted to understand what they went through more so that if I could do things that would help them and at the end of the day, help myself in terms of presentation wise and what made things a little bit quicker for them or it just made for a better shot things like that so i 100 i'm very happy to be like that jack of all trades and master of none i definitely love doing that and again to have a, a career where i've somehow managed to you know do stage and theater and film and uh, radio and television 
and to still have a chance to do things, still go off and do bits of acting, still go off and do theatre shows, go off and do, you know, a show in the, a cruise ship and sing with a band and all that stuff. I feel ridiculously lucky. But I also know that it all came from that early groundwork. And also still, you know, still I'm, I'm working at things and trying to hone up new skills and think I can do that better. In fact, even at the weekend, it was funny, I was with a couple of friends. And uh, one of my friends, is, she was a great Broadway performer. And she was talking, we're in the house and she was doing this dance thing. And she said, Ross, just come and do this with me. And I'm not a dancer, but I realized that I hadn't really moved on a stage or with dancers for such a long time. And I was all over the place. And I thought, right, this week, now, of course, here in Los Angeles, you know, the no, no more social distancing, the masks are off. I thought, I'm going to take some dance lessons. Not that I'm ever going to become a dancer, but I know that something may come up and I need to have more of that skill again. So, yeah, anything. It's like that thing. I'm, I was a sponge and I think I'm still a sponge. You know, I always say, when people say, are you ready, Ross? And I go, yep, like a coiled sponge. But I, I genuinely am a sponge because I still will take from absolutely everything. And that's fantastic. And for me, that's the same way I came up. You can never learn enough. Yeah. In many ways, you're a true entertainer because you have oh, touched pretty much every aspect of the business. <laughs> so my question to you is, how do you stay focused knowing that you are potentially going to go in nine different directions mm. in your pursuit of entertaining others. Like what keeps you on the rails? Two things. One is I think to be present is a huge thing to be present in the moment so that you are to go with your focused side of things there. That's a big thing for me. And also to be as at the top of your game as you can be, you know, it's to be match fit is how I always put it. A lot of my analogies go back to, you know, trying to play soccer. So there's that whole thing of being match fit. You want to always be ready because you don't know when you're going to get that call. You know, somebody falls out of a show, you're called in, you know, or somebody's come up with a show. Oh, we need someone who, oh, maybe Ross or something like that. There's all those things. So I think you always want to be absolutely match fit so that if you're called upon at whatever time or indeed, when I'm doing the shows that I do at the moment for Lorraine or Good Morning Britain, that if someone asks you something, you're on top of it. You know, oh, the Emmys have just made a change today where you can have on your certificate, it doesn't have to say actor or actress, it can just say performer. I think, you know, all those things that are, that are almost like breaking news, but you want to be on top of it. And also in terms of music, you, I want to keep up to date with what's happening music-wise or musicals, you know, so it really is just that simple thing, being focused, being present. Also, I think that's so important because you want to really enjoy what you're doing and you don't want to be thinking about, oh, what's the next gig or where am I going to go or whatever? You know, it's just be present. And, um, you know, I learned a few tricks from acting class out here, how to be present. And that really helped. And what I did was I took the tricks that they taught you to be present in an addition and put that into my life. So that really helped there. And I think that also means that you don't get too tired or too exhausted. And you are then hopefully match fit at the top of your game. And a thing that my mother always said to me, and again, funnily enough, at the weekend, we were playing one of those games, you know, you pick cards and it asks you difficult questions. And I said that my mother said something which still resonates with me absolutely more. In fact, more importantly than ever, when I would leave the house to go and do something, 
whether it be a soccer game or whether it was to go and do a play or something, my mum would always say, go on, son, just do your best. That's all you can do. And I was roughly 23. I mean, she said it to me when I was a kid all the way through. I then realized that the truth of that, if you can do your best, that's all you can do. But all the things that help you do your best, you know, whether you're prepared mentally, physically, you know, you've had enough sleep, you've been eating the right stuff, you know, you've been exercising, you've been training, you've learned your lines, you've done your research, all the things that all go together to make you do your best. And then if you do your best, that's it. And again, in, in our business, as you know, John, it's so subjective, you know, you go in for a TV show, or you go in for a role in a play, and the chances are you're not right. And we all take it so personally because it's a rejection of you as opposed to thinking, well, maybe I'm not the right person for that role or whatever. But the simple fact is, if you do your best, you can't do any better. You walk away, go, yep, did my best. And that's fantastic. And I think that is such an amazingly healthy way to look at mm. the entertainment industry as a whole, because yeah. this is an industry that will chew you up if yeah. you let it. And with that being said, talk about learning and great advice. It's 2021. If someone's trying to break into the entertainment industry now, what advice would you give them? The first thing I would say goes back to a word that I use a lot, tenacity. Be tenacious. Really go for it. Work as hard, hard as you can. Hone your skills. Learn your skills. Do as many skills as possible. But also what I look at that I didn't have the facilities when I was a kid, which there are now, obviously, with people with smartphones. Not everyone obviously has a smartphone, but if you do, you can video yourself. Now. It's stuff that could never do when I was a kid. You know, the only time you got in front of a camera was like my dear old dad who had a little cine camera at one point. But even then, there was no, <laughs> there were no talkies. It was, there was no sound, you know. So all the things that you can do now with smartphones or iPads or things like that. You know, even you can have teleprompter, which I, the first time I ever saw a teleprompter, and I still don't see teleprompter that much, but, you know, I saw it in a TV studio. I was like, oh, my goodness me. Oh, there are actually lines there, and I can read them. But, you know, you can practice that on your phone now. There's an app for it. So I think there's so many things that you can do. And again, you know, for creating tapes now, that was another big thing when I was a kid. I was lucky when I went to hospital radio, I could start, making some tapes in there. But I think, you know, you have the facility to do so many other things now. And also you have the facility to do it, listen to it and be really honest with yourself. And I think that's a big thing. You've got to be honest with yourself and really think, okay, am I cut out for this? Can I do this? Is this really going to happen? And then I think other things that you get into now where, again, I didn't really have this as a kid was visualization which I think is a big thing of visualizing things, you know, without getting to LA about things. But, you know, if you do concentrate and visualize and see yourself, and I do that sometimes as well. You know, if I, I go back and do a theater gig and I haven't been on stage for a while and you're going to, you know, there's a band there and there's the audience and you're thinking. So in my head, I visualize me going out there, being confident, being strong, the audience laughing, the, me hopefully singing in tune. I visualize all those things so that when it comes to that moment, when you walk out on stage, it's not like, oh my goodness me, how is this going to go? In your head, you've gone, I've already been here. I've already walked out here. I've already done this. And so I think there's a lot of those mind things that weren't 
talked about as much when I was a kid, but I talked about a lot more now. And a lot of them are very, very valid. But I think it still comes down to the simple things of being tenacious. And also, as I said before, my dear old mom, do your best and be honest with yourself. Know what it takes to do your best, because it's the simplest thing of all. If you do your best, you cannot do any better. And if that's not good enough for whoever it is, then you can't do any better. You can go home, hold your head high and go, yep, did my best. Can't do any better. I love it. So Ross, I have one more question for you. And this is a question that I ask every one of my guests. Mm -hmm. And I have to tell you, between all the awards and accolades that you've got (laughs) and just things that you've done through your illustrious career, I can't imagine it's going to be easy to pick one, but I'm going to ask you anyway, what is the thing you're most proud of? Wow. I think I think I'm proud that I'm still working, that I have never had a fallow period in my life, that I have worked since I was 15 and worked in a business that I absolutely love. I think getting the MBE from the Queen is a proud moment, not so much for me, but for my family and for my mum and my dad and my sister, because I share it with them. And my mum and dad were extraordinary people. And Dad especially did so much work for charity and he did this incredible work in the community. And I used to always say to him every time the Queen's honours list came out, whether it was her birthday list or the New Year's honours list, and I would say, Dad, why don't you get something? And he would genuinely always say, oh, son, people like us don't get things like that. And I remember listening to it and thinking, okay. And so I was brought up very much that way that, yeah, people like us don't get things like that. So when I got the phone call from the palace to say, you know, would you accept (laughs) from Her Majesty the Queen and then come over to the UK and to go to the Palace of Holyrood in Edinburgh, which is the Queen's residence in Scotland in Edinburgh, in the capital, to go meet her and to receive it from her. It was an incredible moment. It was a very proud moment for me, but it was really more for my mom and my dad and my sister Elaine. You know, I got to share that moment with them. And even though mom and dad had both passed, you know, you still got that lovely feeling that they were kind of looking down and going, oh, there's my boy with the queen. (laughs) Well, that's brilliant. Ross, it's been an absolute amazing time chatting with you. Given the chance, I could chat with you for hours on end. Thank you. Please, thank you. The pleasure's been all mine. So this has been another amazing episode of Expert Minutes. And remember, if your day job's not your dream job, keep hustling. Until next time, I'm John McGuire. Hey nerds, I'm Sarah, the Paper Nerd, and if you've ever wondered what goes into that greeting card you just sent or received, well, quite a lot. Get your paper fix on the paper fold where I host an enchanting mix of personalities and players all nerding out on my favorite topic, stationery. From the designs of our snail mail communications to the precious space created when two people correspond, there's a lot to cover. So come grab a seat in the stationery community's only five-star paper salon, The Paper Fold, now part of the Evergreen Podcast Network.